the Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hello and welcome, folks. Thank you so much for deciding to listen to the Paul Leslie Hour. I am honored that you're here. This is a very special episode for me. This is an interview with somebody I have tried to get on this show for a long time, for years. I wrote letters to different places. I called different places. I could never seem to get an interview with Roger Nichols. As you're going to soon hear, he's one of the great American composers. He's written many songs that you know very well. Very honored to get him on the show. There's a lot that goes into booking these interviews, and there are expenses. I send letters to different people. Sometimes the letters get read. Sometimes I get a response, but it does cost money. There's also hosting costs, the cost of maintaining the website, etc. If you go to thepaulleslie.com, there's a little button that says support the show. Won't you buy me a few stamps or maybe a cup of coffee? I would really appreciate it. Any amount is a great help to me, and I really appreciate it. Well, folks, with no further ado, let's get into the show. Hey, it's me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are in the presence of one of the world's great songwriters. He is a composer, musician, and recording artist. Roger Nichols is here. He is one of the individuals I most have wanted to interview on the Paul Leslie Hour. The reason is that I believe he has composed some of the most captivating music ever. Here are some of the great songs he co-wrote. We've only just begun. I won't last a day without you. Rainy days and Mondays, all of course recorded by The Carpenters. There's also Out in the Country, recorded by both Three Dog Night and R.E.M., and all of those songs he co-wrote with Paul Williams. He also co-wrote Times of Your Life, which was a hit for Paul Anka. He co-wrote that one with Bill Lane. Roger Nichols also records with his own group, Roger Nichols and the Small Circle of Friends. He's talented in many ways. As a musician, he's a multi-instrumentalist, playing guitar, bass, piano, and violin. He is also a jeweler. So, Roger Nichols, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's an honor. So how are you this day? I'm just fine. It's a beautiful day, and I'm just fine. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. Well, I want you to take us back. What is your most vivid memory from early on? Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, I was signed as a songwriter to A&M Records, to Herb Albert's company. And this was about 1966 or something like that. And I was writing for the Small Circle of Friends, and I started writing with Tony Asher. Now, Tony Asher was the lyricist for the Beach Boys, or some of their songs, anyway. And then one day, Chuck Kay, who was the head of the publishing company, and introduces me to Paul Williams. And we hit it off right away, and Paul Paul said, well, why don't you play me something? So I played him a melody, and the next day he came back, and he said, I don't know if this is good, but 
He says, this is what I wrote. And he played it for me. And I said, Paul, I think that's good. We went in the studio that day, and I recorded the demo myself, which is which is terrible, but I did. And uh, we took it across the street to Tommy LaPuma, who was recording different people, and one of them was Claudine Langer. So I played him this song. He said, this is perfect for Claudine Langer. So within one day, we had a song recorded <laughs> by an artist. And that kind of kicked off our, our songwriting career. And uh, from there, we, we were getting some, some album cuts, but nothing like a big hit. And then along came the Carpenters. And the Carpenters were looking for material. And in the meantime, Paul and I got this request from, well, from uh, Crocker Bank in California to write a song for a wedding ceremony. So we wrote, we've only just begun, now just the first two verses. Well, they played it on the radio and on television, and Richard Carpenter picked up on it. He said, oh, I like that song. And in the meantime, Wells Fargo, Crocker Bank had come back and said, we want a full song to give to our clientele. So in the meantime, Paul and I had written the bridge in the last verse, we've only just begun. So when Richard called us, I said, we have a full song. So we played it for him, and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting stuff. So yeah. how did you come to learn that you had this ability that you could create your own melodies? Well, I don't know. I grew up in a musical family. My mother was a musical major, and, and he played piano. And my father was a sax player, a jazz musician. Now, I was just on the side. He was a photographer for, for real. But anyway, I grew up in a musical family, and I played violin through all the way through high school. And at high school, I started listening to the rec records and the radio a lot. And I said, I think I can do that. And little by little, I started writing. And little by little, the small circle of friends came together. And we went into a real recording studio, and I was just knocked out when I heard the small circle of friends over a real recording studio. And from that point on, I just started writing. And uh, who knows? <laughs> it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So you would say that writing songs is something, it's more or less, it's innate. It's something that you're either born to do or not. Yeah, I think so. And I know that when I'm writing, I have to be writing for something. I just don't write randomly. And I notice that when I'm writing for something, like the Carpenters, the songs are much better. Interesting. And I always write the melodies first, and Paul would put the lyrics to the melody. You were mentioning just a moment ago that your parents were, you could say, artistic people. Yeah. Were they encouraging of you, wanting to do all of these things that are creative? <laughs> no. <laughs> My mother said, go get your college degree first, and then if you want a full round of music, do it later. So I did start the college. I believe it or not, I was a basketball player. 
and I went to UCLA with John Wooden. And I played for a couple years there, but I was just running up to Hollywood all the time and writing music and doing stuff. And uh, John Wooden said, hey, man, you got to make a decision. you got to play basketball or you got to do something else. And so anyway, I wound up quitting school and started writing music. And what about the music that you grew up with, the stuff that you heard either on the radio or, or playing on records? What was the stuff that you really liked or that influenced you? Uh, I can say for sure Frank Sinatra and, you won't believe this, The Four Freshmen. The Four Freshmen were a singing group, great harmony, great songs, and I just loved them. And actually, the small circle of friends kind of evolved from that group. Interesting. So the first time that you went into a recording studio, can you tell us what are your most vivid memories of the sights and sounds of that day? Well, it was the three of us. And it was I was playing guitar, and Murray and Melinda and I went into this recording studio. And Murray's mother set it up. She she was a a um, commercial broadcaster, and she set this whole thing up for us. So I went into the studio, and it was a, a nice size studio, not great, but it was Western recording. And we just started singing and playing. And they played it back over the big speakers. And we were all just knocked out because we never heard ourselves through real speakers. And that was right then. That was like, that was night and day. Hmm. So who was the first recording artist, singer, instrumentalist, whatever, the first artist that did one of your songs? Herb Alpert. Wow. Herb Alpert recorded The Treasure of San Miguel in one of his very first albums. I was... I'd been in the studio and recorded this instrumental along with a couple of small circle of film things. And I was in the publisher's office at A&M Records with Chuck K. And I played it for him. And he said, well, that's really good, Roger. And along came Herb Albert and walked in the room. And Chuck said, Rog, would you excuse, excuse us? <laughs> so I went out in the lobby. Next thing I know, I hear this instrumental of mine being played. Next thing I know, her power walks out, and he says, who did you write that for? I said, I wrote that for you. <laughs> he said, this is fantastic. So I love this thing. <laughs> so he went in the studio and recorded it. And, uh, it was never a single, but it was on his album, and that's how it started. But you want to talk about hitting a home run from the beginning. <laughs> Herb Alpert yeah. is the first person? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And it was after that that he signed me as a writer. I love Herb Alpert. What is, what is he like when you're just eyeball to eyeball with him? Oh, he's he's terrific. He's a real cool guy. He's not overpowering, but he's friendly, and he's on the target. You know, he, he talks about music and uh, whatever. You know, he, he, he just doesn't mess around. He's He's a real... Good guy. Just a good guy. So now that you're signed to A&M, were you the one looking for songwriting collaborators or were they looking to match you with somebody? How did you 
How did how did it come to be? Yeah, they were looking for me, and like I say, right away, I started writing with Tony Asher. But um, I know I had one interview with Sammy Kahn. <laughs> And I don't know what happened to that. It just nothing ever happened. But hmm. uh, so anyway, I was writing with Tony Asher, and we wrote a few things for the Small Circle of Friends. And Hanum Records was recording these songs, and it was during that process that Paul Williams came into the scene. Can you recall the first time you and Paul Williams were in a room together? What your first impression of him was? Well, again, I, I uh, we met, and he was a small guy, and but he was a nice guy. He was he was kind and, and friendly, and we hit it off. And I played him this melody, and he says, "Let me take it home and see what I can do." And that was it. It really wasn't a long meeting at all, you know. And my, the songs that you guys have brought into the world. Why do you suppose the songs of Nichols and Williams have made such an impact on the world of music? Well, let's, let's be honest. It's the Carpenters that really launched our career. Now, a lot of the, the Carpenters' first hit was Close to You. But Paul and I had the backside, was I kept on loving you. And, but then the next single after Close to You was We've Only Just Begun. And Richard to this day says that was their theme song. Hmm. And We've Only Just Begun is now celebrating, it's been more than 50 years now, I know that it was called one of the 500 greatest songs of all time. And in addition yeah. to the Carpenters having done it, it's done been done by so many great singers. Johnny Mathis, I've heard the Barry Manilow version, Bing Crosby, Jack Jones. Why do you so, suppose it is that so many great singers have been in particular drawn to that song? Well, I believe it's the melody, to be honest with you. And the lyrics, of course, but my melodies were were really uh, avant-garde at the time, but very melodic, and a lot of the melodic singers could sing my songs. So I believe it was the melodies. Are you familiar with the version of that song that the late Frank Sinatra Jr. did? No, I'm not. No. I have to say, it is a really, really, at least to me, it's an impressive version. It came out on his album Spice, and he, I think, I thought he nailed it. Something to look oh. for. Well, yeah, I'll look it up. <laughs> Was there a moment when you thought, okay, we've really, we've made it. The hits just keep coming. I'm a very successful composer. Well, it's sort of rolled along, you know, it wasn't overnight. I mean, it was overnight, but it it still took some time, you know, because they go in the studio and it takes them six months to do an album. You know? <laughs> and uh, so anyway, by the time of 1970, which is when uh, Rainy Days and Mondays came out, we were pretty well established at that point. And Paul, 
actually was kind of do, starting to do his own thing. And he and I kind of split up in the 70s. And he went one way and I went another. And, uh, and that's kind of a shame, but that's just what happened. Do you still keep up with Paul? Do you ever hear from him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we talk once in a while. You know, his birthday is two days after mine. It's September 17th and September 19th. And uh, he always made a joke. He says, Roger, I gave you two days to write a melody before I was born. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Interesting. But, uh, we both turned 80 this year, and we, we congratulated each other for still being alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to know, it's one of my favorite albums. I'm talking about Angel Claire, the debut recording of Art Garfunkel. What did you think of his take on your song, Traveling Boy? I thought it was quite good. I thought it was quite good. They, they messed up the chorus a little bit, but it was very good. I liked that record, and uh, it was a hit. Yeah. Would it be possible to pick the version of one of your songs that somebody has done that you thought, okay, this was just a knockout. This person, they nailed my song. You mean other than the Carpenters? <laughs> <laughs> you can say the Carpenters. <laughs> well, I got to give Carpenters number one. But uh, Paul and I wrote a song called The Drifter. And it was recorded by... Uh, let me see here. I'm looking this up a minute ago. Uh, by Harper's Bazaar. It was recorded by Steve Lawrence, Teddy Rodman, and some other people, the Sandpipers, and Steve Lawrence. But Harper's Bazaar recorded The Drifter, and believe it or not, they left out the bridge. But I thought it was a fantastic recording. And uh, that's what comes to mind. Has there been a version of one of your songs that surprised you the most? And I mean surprised you either in a good way, like, oh, that's cool, but I don't know if I would have imagined it being done that way. Or it could be like, that surprised me, and boy, were they wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I don't remember any bad records. You know, there's so many of them, it's hard to, hard to pick out. I don't know. Herb Alpert did another one of my songs called Love So Fine, which I really liked. And he recorded another song of mine called The Song for Herb, which I really liked. Those were kind of in the midst of all the other stuff. I was listening to the song The Times of Your Life, which, as I was uh -huh. mentioning at the beginning, Paul Anka recorded that one. And you right. wrote that with Bill Lane. How did Paul Anka become aware of that song? Okay, Bill Lane worked for J. Walter Thompson, a company, which was a huge advertising company in New York. And they wanted a new song for Kodak. And Bill Lane called me and he said, would you write us a song for Kodak? So I did. I wrote the melody to the Times of Your Life. I sent it back to New York. And he said, I love this song. He said, we're going to get this recorded. And so he finally said, would you mind if I wrote the lyric? 
And I said, well, I don't know. We'll give it a shot. So he came out to L.A., and we worked on the song for a couple of days. And finally, it got where it was to finish. So he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hire six major recording artists to do a two-minute commercial for the radio. And so Paul Anka was one of the six artists that recorded Times of Your Life for the radio. And it became an immediate hit on the radio. So then Kodak got Paul Anka to do some on-camera stuff, too, and all that stuff. And Paul Anka, to this day, takes credit for writing the song, and he had nothing to do with writing the song. Hmm. He's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want the listeners out there to check out RN, like Roger Nichols, rnstudios.com. Something that you do that is very interesting. You're involved as a jeweler. Now, that started about 30 years ago. <laughs> interesting. What but got I, that? I, don't, I, I still do it a little bit now, and I do it during the holidays. But it's just been an avocation. It's been fun for me. It's something for me to do besides music. And uh, I enjoy it. You know. Interesting. Do you still compose melodies a, a good bit? No, I pretty much stopped when the music business became so weird that even if I wrote something, who the hell would ever record it, you know? Yeah. So so I just kind of gave it up. You know, I did two or three albums for Japan, and uh, I don't know. They were just... I had a fan club in Japan, so the Small Circle of Friends was was a big group there, and I recorded two different albums of them for Japan, but it was nothing big deal, no big deal. You know. One time I was calling you, it was a couple weeks ago before we were setting up this interview, and you were saying that you were playing tennis that day. Yeah. What would you say you're happiest doing these days? Oh, well, obviously playing tennis is a good exercise for me, but I enjoy it too. I play three times a week, old man doubles. But we have an indoor court. I have two indoor courts. And uh, we play regularly, so that's, that's, that's fun for me. I still do the jewelry, so I still mess around with that. And uh, I'm kind of an art collector, so I have a pretty fair amount of art around my studio and uh, I don't know then I look after my kids too I have three daughters and uh, like two of them are visiting right now so anyway I have my hands full <laughs> what is the best thing about being Roger Nichols well I don't know I Obviously, the music business is really me. All this other stuff is a sideline, but the music business and writing songs and hearing them recorded is really Roger Nichols. Yeah. I always like to end the interview. I just give the guest the stage. It's not limited to music. It's whatever you want to say to anybody who's tuned in 
listening to us, what would you say to that person? Well, I would say uh, if you are a musician or you want to write songs, you need to work at it. You need to work at it and spend about five years to become a hit songwriter. But in that five years, you will learn a lot, and you will know if you're any good or not at the end of five years. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, I put all these different labels on you in this interview. I said that you're a composer, a recording artist, a musician. I said you were a jeweler. How would you define Roger Nichols? Who is Roger Nichols at heart? Oh, Roger Nichols is a composer. That's for sure. No question about it. What about one of the greatest composers in the world? Those are my words. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, those, those are your words. <laughs> I won't refuse them. <laughs> well, Mr. Nichols, it's been a pleasure to interview you. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for doing and, it. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Goodbye.